Chapter Ten of the Heritage of the Desert by Zane Gray. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Riding the Ranges, Part Two. On the third morning, after leaving Silver Cup, the riders were working slowly along the slope of Coconina, and Hare, having driven down a bunch of cattle, found himself on an open ridge near the temporary camp. Happening to glance up the valley, he saw what appeared to be smoke hanging over seeping springs. That can't be dust, he soliloquized. Looks blue to me. He studied the hazy bluish cloud for some time, but it was so many miles away that he could not be certain whether it was smoke or not. So he decided to ride over and make sure. None of the nabs was in camp, and there was no telling when they would return. So he set off alone. He expected to get back before dark, but it was of little consequence whether he did or not, for he had his blanket under the saddle and grain for Silvermane and food for himself in the saddlebags. Long before Silvermane's easy trot had covered half the distance, Hare recognized the cloud that had made him curious. It was smoke. He thought that range riders were camping at the springs, and he meant to see what they were about. After three hours of brisk travel, he reached the top of a low, rolling knoll that hid Seeping Springs. He remembered the springs were under the red wall, and that the pool where the cattle drank was lowered down in a clump of cedars. He saw smoke rising in a column from the cedars, and he heard the lowing of cattle. "'Something's wrong here,' he muttered. Following the trail, he rode through the cedars to come upon the dry hole where the pool had once been. There was no water in the flume. The bellowing cattle came from beyond the cedars, down the other side of the ridge. He was not long in reaching the open, and then one glance made all clear. A new pool, large as a little lake, shone in the sunlight, and round it a jostling horned mass of cattle were pressing against a high corral. The flume that fed water to the pool was fenced all the way up to the springs. Jack rode slowly down the ridge, with eyes roving under the cedars and up to the wall. Not a man was in sight. When he got to the fire, he saw that it was not many hours old, and was surrounded by fresh boot and horse tracks in the dust. Piles of slender pine logs, trimmed flat on one side, were proof of somebody's intention to erect a cabin. In rage, he flung himself from the saddle. It was not many moments' work for him to push a part of the fire under the fence, and part of it against the pile of logs. The pitch pines went off like rockets, driving the thirsty cattle back. I'm going to trail those horse tracks, said Hare. He tore down a portion of the fence, enclosing the flume, and gave Silvermane a drink, then put him to a fast trot on the white trail. The tracks he had resolved to follow were clean-cut. A few inches of snow had fallen in the valley, and melting had softened the hard ground. Silvermane kept to his gait with the tirelessness of a desert horse. August Nab had once said fifty miles a day would be play for the stallion. All the afternoon Hare watched the trail speed toward him and the end of Coconina rise above him.
Long before sunset, he had reached the slope of the mountain and had begun the ascent. Halfway up, he came to the snow and counted the tracks of three horses. At twilight, he rode into the glade where August Naab had waited for his Navajo friends. There, in a sheltered nook among the rocks, he unsaddled Silvermane, covered and fed him, built a fire, ate sparingly of his meat and bread, and rolling up in his blanket, was soon asleep. He was up and off before sunrise, and he came out on the western slope of Coconina, just as the shadowy valley awakened from its misty sleep in the daylight. Soon the pink cliffs leaned out, glimmering and vast, the change from gloomy gray to rosy glow, and then to brighten and to redden in the morning sun. The snow thinned and failed, but the iron-cut horse tracks showed plainly in the trail. At the foot of the mountain, the tracks left the White Sage Trail and led off to the north toward the cliffs. Hare searched the red sage-spotted waste for Holderness's ranch. He located it, a black patch on the rising edge of the valley, under the wall, and turned Silvermane into the tracks that pointed straight toward it. The sun cleared Coconina and shone warm on his back. The pink cliffs lifted higher and higher before him. From the ridgetops he saw the black patch grow into cabins and corrals. As he neared the ranch, he came into rolling pasture land, where the bleached grass shone white and the cattle were ranging in the thousands. This range had once belonged to Martin Cole, and Hare thought of the bitter Mormon as he noted the snug cabins for the riders, the rambling, picturesque ranch house, the large corrals, and the long flume that ran down from the cliff. There was a corral full of shaggy horses and another full of steers and two lines of cattle, one going into a pond corral and one coming out. The air was gray with dust. A bunch of yearlings were licking at huge lumps of brown rock salt. A wagon full of cowhides stood before the ranch house. Hare reined in at the door and halloed. A red-faced ranger with sandy hair and twinkling eyes appeared. Hello, stranger. Get down and come in, he said. Is Holderness here? asked Hare. No, he's been to Lund with a bunch of steers. I reckon he'll be in White Sage by now. I'm snood the foreman. Is it a job riding you want? No. Say, that horse, he exclaimed. His gaze of friendly curiosity had moved from Hare to Silvermane. You can corral me if that ain't the Silver Rain Stallion. Yes, said Hare. Snood's whoop brought three riders to the door, and when he pointed to the horse, they stepped out with good-natured grins and admiring eyes. I've never seen him but once, said one. Lordy, what a horse! Snood walked round Silvermane. If I owned this ranch, I'd trade it for that stallion. I know Silvermane. He and I had some chases over in Nevada. And stranger, who might you be? I'm one of August Naab's riders. Denae's spy? Snood looked Hare over carefully, with much interest, and without any show of ill will. I've heard of you, and what might one of Naab's riders, one of Holderness? I rode in the Seeping Springs yesterday, said Hare, eyeing the foreman 
There was a new pond, fenced in. Our cattle couldn't drink. They were a lot of trimmed logs. Somebody was going to build a cabin. I burned the corrals and logs, and I trailed fresh tracks from seeping springs to this ranch. The hell you did, shouted Snood, and his face flamed. See here, stranger, you're the second man to accuse some of my riders of such dirty tricks. That's enough for me. I was foreman of this ranch till this minute. I was foreman, but there was things going on that I didn't know of. I kicked on that deal with Martin Cole. I quit. I steal no man's water. Is that good with you? Snood's query was as much a challenge as a question. He bit savagely at his pipe. Hare offered his hand. Your word goes. Dave Nab said you might be Holderness's foreman, but that you weren't a liar or a thief. I'd believe it even if Dave hadn't told me. Them fellows you tracked rode in here yesterday. They've gone now. I've no more to say, except I never hired them. I'm glad to hear it. Good day, Snood. I'm in something of a hurry. With that, Hare faced about in the direction of White Sage. Once clear of the corrals, he saw the village closer than he had expected to find it. He walked Silvermane most of the way and jogged along the rest so that he reached the village in the twilight. Memory served him well. He rode in as August Nab had ridden out and arrived at the bishop's barnyard where he put up his horse. Then he went to the house. It was necessary to introduce himself for none of the bishop's family recognized in him the young man they had once befriended. The old bishop prayed and reminded him of the laying on of hands. The women served him with food. The young men brought him new boots and garments to replace those that had been worn to tatters. Then they plied him with questions about the nabs, whom they had not seen for nearly a year. They rejoiced at his recovered health. They welcomed him with warm words. Later, Hare sought an interview alone with the bishop's sons and he told them of the loss of the sheep, of the burning of the new corrals, of the tracks leading to Holderness's ranch. In turn, they warned him of his danger and gave him information desired by August Nab. Holderness's grasp on the outlying ranges and water rights had slowly and surely tightened. Every month he acquired new territory. He drove cattle regularly to Lund, and it was no secret that much of the stock came from the eastern slope of Coconina. He could not hire enough riders to do his work. The suspicion that he was not a cattleman but a rustler had slowly gained ground. It was scarcely hinted, but it was believed. His friendship with Dene had become offensive to the Mormons, who had formerly been on good footing with him. Dene's killing of Martin Cole was believed to have been at Holderness's instigation. Cole had threatened Holderness. Then Dene and Cole had met in the main street of White Sage. Cole's death ushered in the bloody time that he had prophesied. Dene's band had grown. No man could say how many men he had or who they were. Chance and Culver were openly his lieutenants, and whenever they came into the village there was shooting. There were ugly rumors afloat in regard to their treatment of Mormon women. 
The wives and daughters of once peaceful white sage dared no longer venture out of doors after nightfall. There was more money and coin and more whiskey than ever before in the village. Lund and the few villages northward were terrorized as well as White Sage. It was a bitter story. The bishop and his sons tried to persuade Hare next morning to leave the village without seeing Holderness, urging the futility of such a meeting. I will see him, said Hare. He spent the morning at the cottage, and when it came time to take his leave, he smiled into the anxious faces. If I weren't able to take care of myself, August Naab would never have said so. Had Hare asked himself what he intended to do when he faced Holderness, he could not have told. His feelings were pent in, bound, but at the bottom something rankled. His mind seemed steeped in still thunderous atmosphere. How well he remembered the quaint wide street, the gray church. As he rode, many persons stopped to gaze at Silvermane. He turned the corner into the main thoroughfare. A new building had been added to the several stores. Mustangs stood, bridles down, before the doors. Men lounged along the railings. As he dismounted, he heard the loungers speak of his horse, and he saw their leisurely manner quicken. He stepped into the store to meet more men, among them August Naab's friend Abe. Hare might never have been in White Sage for all the recognition he found, but he excited something keener than curiosity. He asked for spurs, a clasp knife, and some other necessaries, and he contrived, when momentarily out of sight behind a pile of boxes, to whisper his identity to Abe. The Mormon was dumbfounded. When he came out of his trance, he showed his gladness, and at a question of Hare's, he silently pointed toward the saloon. Hare faced the open door. The room had been enlarged. It was now on a level with the store floor, and was blue with smoke, foul with the fumes of rum, and noisy with the voices of dark, rugged men. A man in the middle of the room was dancing a jig. "'Hello, who's this?' he said, straightening up. It might have been the stopping of the dance, or the quick spark in Hare's eyes that suddenly quieted the room. Hare had once vowed to himself that he would never forget the scarred face. It belonged to the outlaw chance. The sight of it flashed into the gulf of Hare's mind like a meteor into black night. A sudden madness raced through his veins. Hello, don't you know me, he said, with a long step that brought him close to chance. The outlaw stood irresolute. Was this an old friend or an enemy? His beady eyes scintillated and twitched as if they sought to look him over, yet dared not, because it was only in the face that intention could be read. The stillness of the room broke to a hoarse whisper from someone. Look how he packs his gun. Another man, answering, whispered, There's not six men in Utah who pack a gun that way. Chance heard these whispers, for his eyes shifted downward the merest fraction of a second. The brick color of his face turned a dirty white. Do you know me? demanded Hare. Chance's answer was a spasmodic jerking of his hand toward his hip. 
Hare's arm moved quicker, and Chance's colt went spinning to the floor. Too slow, said Hare. Then he flung Chance backward and struck him blows that sent his head with sodden thuds against the log wall. Chance sank to the floor in a heap. Hare kicked the outlaw's gun out of the way and wheeled to the crowd. Holderness stood foremost, his tall form leaning against the bar, his clear eyes shining like light on ice. Do you know me? asked Hare curtly. Holderness started slightly. I certainly don't, he replied. You slapped my face once. Hare leaned close to the rancher. Slap it now, you rustler. In the slow guarded instant, when Hare's gaze held Holderness's and the other men, a low murmuring ran through the room. Dene's spy suddenly burst out Holderness. Hare slapped his face. Then he backed a few paces with his right arm held before him almost as high as his shoulder, the wrist rigid, the fingers quivering. Don't try to draw, Holderness. That's August Nab's trick with a gun, whispered a man hurriedly. Holderness, I made a bonfire over at Seeping Spring, said Hare. I burned the new corrals your men built, and I tracked them to your ranch. Snood threw up his job when he heard it. He's an honest man, and no honest man will work for a water thief, a cattle rustler, a sheep killer. You're showing up, Holderness. Leave the country before someone kills you, understand? Before someone kills you. Holderness stood motionless against the bar, his eyes fierce with passionate hate. Hare back step by step to the outside door, his right hand still high, his look holding the crowd bound to the last instant. Then he slipped out, scattered the group round Silvermane, and struck hard with the spurs. The gray, never before spurred, broke down the road into his old wild speed. Men were crossing from the corner of the green square. One, a compact little fellow, swarthy, his dark hair long and flowing, with jaunty and alert air, was Dene, the outlaw leader. He stopped with his companions to let the horse cross. Hare guided the thundering stallion slightly to the left. Silvermane swerved, and in two mighty leaps bore down on the outlaw. Dene saved himself by quickly leaping aside, but even as he moved, Silvermane struck him with his left foreleg, sending him into the dust. At the street corner, Hare glanced back. Yelling men were rushing from the saloon, and some of them fired after him. The bullets whistled harmlessly behind Hare. Then the corner house shut off his view. Silvermane lengthened out and stretched lower, with his white mane flying and his nose pointed level for the desert. End of chapter 10, part 2